If you have your Bibles there with you, uh, if you could open those up to Revelation. Oh, I feel like insane that this Revelation chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be reading from verse 9 through 17. But if you're new and missing us this morning, thank you so much for coming. We're a church, like we keep saying, that loves visiting so, so glad you came. Even with the parking being where it is, that you consider coming worth the walk. Um, well, this is our second message in our mission series that we're doing. Uh, mission series is just running for four weeks, which is all about the heart of this church. What is it that is the, the, the lifeblood, so to speak, of Sovereign Grace in Sydney? What are we on about? What is our vision? Where are we going? What do we have a heart for as a church? And Dave, last week, uh, shared with us about our mission, about how for us the gospel is our message, and we want to keep that, not just lip service to that, we want to keep that right, so we want to treasure that and hold that so you know what you did great job on that. This week we're looking at our, our uh, method, of, or sorry, more specifically, our model. Um, and we're going to be looking at the local church. And we're going to be looking at how we build around the local church. I think for most of us, this is not going to be a new message, but rather an encouragement, a stirring up in something um, that hopefully you're already familiar with. It's also, by the way, a topical message. Uh, this series is a topical series. At Sovereign Grace, we, we usually preach... Expositionally, which means we preach our way through books of the Bible and try and understand each book in context. Now, we'll, of course, we're trying to understand passages in context, but uh, we're looking at topics and what does the Bible as a whole say on certain topics as we go through this series. So open up those Bibles to Revelation 7. I'm going to read from verse 9 and then, and then we'll pray. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, So you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching rain. 
for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Oh Lord, this morning we we ask again for grace. Lord, the people like me who so easily have eyes that are focused on the here and now, Lord, focused on jobs and family and the worries of this life, Lord, help us cast our eyes to the things that happen. Oh, we want to see you. We want to get a taste of you. We want to be affected by your word, Lord, so we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Well, the 1st of February 2014, it's a day I'm not going to forget. Uh, the rest of my life is the day that I asked Charlotte Dan Chu to be my wife. And uh, I had a plan, I did. Um, and my plan was uh, a plan of uh, distraction and misleading. Because I'm told girls like surprises. And uh, so my plan was that I would talk as much as possible about yesterday, Saturday the uh, 7th, or Saturday the 8th, sorry, of February, which is our six-month anniversary for us. And we've been already talking for quite some time about getting married, and, and I thought, if we could lead her to believe that it's happening yesterday, on uh, February the 8th, that would be excellent. And so I got some recruiters and volunteers to be sort of sowing the seeds of um, February the 8th. And uh, on, on February the 1st, February was, uh, Saturday the 1st of February was business as usual, prospect in the morning. And I've mentioned a couple of times about going out for breakfast. Um, so we went out for breakfast and to a downtown mall. And we went to a beautiful uh, place called Public Dining Room, right on the beach had a nice breakfast, and then we started walking along the beach, and uh, it was everything was nice, it was a beautiful day, and Charlotte was with me, blissfully unaware, and uh, we were walking along, and, and I could see the island in Balmoral, if you're familiar with Balmoral, there's an island right in the, the centre of, of the basin with a bridge going over, and I could see this place, you know, where I'm going to proposed to Charlotte and we're, we're walking along and getting closer and closer and getting more and more and more and more nervous and um, we, we got up onto the island to the rocks and I gave her a hug and it was only then that she kind of caught on that there was something that wasn't quite right but she said she could feel my heart going and she goes oh that's odd because it's next week he's, I'm sure he's planning on something it's not this week so that's why we do this and then I started saying all these nice things I really appreciated about her. She's saying all these nice things. What's this is strange? You know. Um, and then I said, so a lot of this, I want to ask you a question. And she just like stepped back and like, like a shocked hands in the air and just like started looking at me. And that's so why I asked her. And just like this blank stare for like, it felt like forever because she was just in shock. And, um, and she obviously she said, yes, you know, of course, yes. And I was just thinking about this week because, you know, for us, as we now plan to get married, um, in marriage, as we think about marriage and plan for marriage, we have this beautiful illustration 
Because marriage, biblically speaking, is like a living, breathing sermon illustration for Christ's love for his bride, the church. It's a picture of how he loves the church. In a husband who lays down his wife, a life to serve his wife. Like Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church. You know, in the life that she submits to her husband and loves him. About how the church submits to Christ and, and follows Christ. A beautiful illustration. And if you were visiting us this morning at Southern Grace Church in Sydney, you will quickly realise that here at Southern Grace, we're a church that loves the local church. We love Christ's bride. In fact, we're just passionate about the local church. We're passionate about local churches. We, we have a vision, Lord willing, to plant churches. Not just here in the city, but across Australia. We would love to see churches planted from this church. Be a church planting church for the glory of God. We, I mean, we desire to support and train and encourage pastors of local churches in any way we can. We love initiatives that support churches. For instance, international care ministries, ICM, one of the reasons we're so excited about ICM is because as ICM cares for the poor, they do it through supporting local churches and pastors. We love places like Moore College that trains pastors in ministry, like SMBC. We love initiatives that support pastors and churches because we are a church that loves the local church. Well, you might be sitting there and thinking, well, well, why? Why do you love the local church? Well, that's this message this morning. Three points, but one simple hope that you would understand. One main point, and that is that at Sovereign Grace, we build around the local church because God is building through the local church. We build around it. We're, we're all about supporting, encouraging, cherishing, treasuring local churches because God is at work in and through local churches. Well, let's get stuck in. Point one. The last church. I want to start at the end this morning, uh, looking at the last church. So if you can open up those Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. And when we talk about that final church, that last church, the universal church, uh, all the time, don't we? It's in that, that creed that we sometimes say in churches, nice and creed. We believe in one holy Catholic and an apostolic church Catholic. That word means universal. One final, all-encompassing church. And so I want to take us there by looking at that passage that we just read. But just by way of casting some context for Revelation this morning, as we read, it's written by John, uh, John that is in, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, uh, on the island of Patmos, a Greek island, uh, probably in the mid-90s AD. Um, It was written when the Emperor Domitian was ruling, an emperor who had really sort of vamped the cult of the emperor, where people worshipped the emperor as God. The church at that time in the world, across the world, in the Roman world, uh, was under pressure from two directions. Firstly, from the Jews who opposed everything to do with Christianity. And secondly, from Rome who was increasingly frustrated. These Christians who wouldn't participate 
in their pagan rituals and their offerings. And so we have this book written by John that's full of apocalyptic language. It's full of symbols and signs that are meant to really encourage the church. In fact, the letter itself is addressed to local churches. In the very beginning of, of uh, John's revelation, in chapter 1, verse 4, John writes, he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. This book is written to local churches. And the main message for these local churches is, guys, hang in there. Because in the end, Jesus wins. That's the message of this book. In the end, it's going to be okay, guys, because Jesus will win. He will be victorious. So hang in there. And our passage lies in the middle of a section that goes from pretty much chapter 4 all the way through chapter 16. Um, and it's all about God sitting on his throne in majesty and in judgment. Just before our passage, we've had that section about the saints, the Christians being sealed, about how all Christians being sealed before God, that idea of permanence not going anywhere. He's sealed them securely. They have the mark of the king. And we get to our passage. So let's get stuck in verse 9. Read with me. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. This is the picture of the greatest gathering the world has ever seen. The biggest gathering. We have nations. This is this word means people joined by kingship, by a king with the same culture and traditions. We have tribes. This is like bloodlines, people that are blood relatives. We have peoples. This is joined by culture and territories. We have tongues. This means languages, people of all different languages. Every type of language under the earth that's ever been is present, is 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 here at this moment before the throne of God. This is a massive gathering. This is the greatest gathering the world has ever seen. You know, I was thinking this week about great gatherings, about great concerts, and uh, brought to my attention was the greatest concert that's ever been. In fact, sorry, more specifically, the biggest concert that's ever been. 2006 was the year. It was the Rolling Stones performing live on Copacabana Beach in Rio de Janeiro in uh, Brazil. 1.5 million people came to that concert. If you watch online the concert, you'll see a helicopter come down across the beachhead. And for what must be more than a mile, it flies over packed crowds as far as you can see, coming across, across the beach further and further. A massive concert. And as the band comes out, and as they begin their first notes of their opening song, Jumping Jack, and, and the guitarist plays the first lines, it's this roar. And you can see it from, from the stage. It just goes, it, it, it just travels because the crowd is so stretched out, not everyone's heard it yet. And this roar just goes, boom, and just keeps going, roar, as far as you can see into the distance. A massive concert. And I want to say, that concept is nothing on this one. Absolutely nothing. 
we have the greatest gathering of people here that the world has ever seen and ever will see. Millions and millions and millions of Christians gathered here in this moment. Dressed in white robes, palm branches in their hands. What's that about? White robes, it's it's the, the victory dress of Roman generals. It symbolizes victory, cleanliness. Palm branches, it's like John 12, 13, that triumphant entry when Jesus comes back, the reigning king, and this is a victory celebration. Let's read on. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God. There's these millions and millions of people gathered around this throne. There's these elders and, and rulers gathered in the innermost circle and they see the throne and they worship God. They can't do anything but fall on their faces in praise. They say salvation is a victory cry. It means deliverance. Deliverance belongs to our King and He will reign. It's this amazing scene of worship. The people all around, and as soon as they see him, they, they, just, they just burst out into praise. They can't do anything but praise him. They say, in, in verse 12, they say, Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. As soon as they see Him, they fall on their faces and they worship. They can't do anything but. It's an amazing, amazing scene. Who are these people? Let's get ready. Then one of the elders dressed me said, Look at these, clothed in white robes, and, and from where they come. And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, Yes, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the people who wash their robes in the land. These are Christians. You know, some people will tell you that this is a gathering of special saints, those super Christians and apostles. Do not believe in even for a second. This is, if you are a Christian, you. You're here. This is all Christians, all people who have asked the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of their sins. These are all people who have received his cleansing blood gathered around their king. That's what this scene is. This is you and this is me. Worshiping him. This is the last church. 
this is the final great worship service. You want to know more about what will be happening in heaven? It is. It is worship like no one has ever seen. You know, gathering here together with you guys this morning, I was moved in just worshiping the Lord, but that's nothing on this. When, when, when we, with this massive crowd of, let's say it right, brothers and sisters, gathered forth and received, just imagine Imagine the way your heart will just be as you see him victorious. And as you begin to hear the crowd cry out in praise, glory, honor, majesty, strength, and power to him who was and is and is to come. And they praise him. And you see him. You will fall on your feet. You will cry out in praise. You won't, you won't be able to imagine anything but your king who, who reigns supremely forever and ever. And it will go on and it will go on with every surpassing moment. The praise getting louder, the joy getting greater, your heart feeling beating faster until you feel like you're just going to explode the joy that you feel before his throne. The great and final worship service of the last church. Well, in the book of Revelation we see the last church. The great final church united with its bride, Jesus Christ. That's my first point. The last church. And my second point is the local church. And really this morning I'm out to convince you. I want to convince you this morning to give yourself to the local church not talking necessarily about our church, but to a local church. I want you to give your life away to serving the bride of Christ in the church. Not because I think it's a good idea, but because I believe the Bible teaches it. You know, I think so often we can believe the lie of individualism in our culture that says, you don't need church. You don't need that. Why would you be part of a church? It's, it's about your personal walk, isn't it? I mean, back in Wilbur, my friends used to say this all the time. You don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you go to the pub, it's church. Why would you be part of a, a local church? I mean, get involved in a Christian organization, maybe, or meet up every so often with some Christian mates. You don't need to be part of a local church. Why would you do that? Well, the Bible tells you knows nothing of this in the Bible only knows commitment to a local body. To be a Christian is to physically be committed to a local church. And I think when we start talking this way and believing this, I believe we've bought into some of the worldliness of that some of the, the values of our culture. And, and part of the way I, I can see it so clearly is because 
in Indonesian Christian circles, this is a non-issue. They have a different culture where individualism isn't so present, and so it's a non-issue about being part of church. I mean, Christian, of course, I'd be getting and meeting with other Christians and part of the local church. Of course, that's what Christians do. And the other thing is, and part of the reason I can see this, is because in the book of, of Revelation, this vision that we have of the universal church, this picture that we have of that final last church is purposed is addressed to Christians in local churches. The context of this book is local churches. Revelation 1-4 again. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. He goes on to spend the first three chapters of his book addressing churches. Jesus Christ specifically addressing churches for the first three chapters. In Smyrna and Philadelphia and all around Asia, God addresses churches. And so the purpose of this revelation of the final churches is to, to say, hey guys, hang in there. Hang in. Continue serving in your local church because in the end, this is what we're going to look forward to. This, this local serving in a church that you're doing, hang in there. Despite all of the temptations to be part of pagan idol worshipping. Despite the way in which people persecute you and chase you. Despite the economic pressure you're receiving because you won't participate in these pagan rituals. Despite the accusations of the Jews that say you've misunderstood and that you're blaspheming God. Stay faithful. Stay true to Christ because in the end he will be victorious. This picture of the universal church is addressed to Christians serving in local church. In fact, the message of Scripture has always been God's work to gather to himself, not individuals, but people. A people to enjoy him forever. You know, we see the first church, really, all the way back in Genesis. The first gathering, all the way back in Genesis 2. God makes man, but it was not good for man to be alone, so he creates woman of his flesh. And there is God walking in the garden with people present with God. God and people. It's the first church. And we don't have to go far in our Bibles to the Exodus where God moves his people safely from slavery, having promised to Abraham that he would make through him a great nation, he removes his people from slavery. And with Moses, he builds the tabernacle, a tent in which God himself would take up residence amongst his people because God is in the business of gathering to himself people. So in Exodus, God is so concerned with with establishing himself amongst his people, that he devotes 15 chapters. The last 15 chapters of the book of Exodus are nearly exclusively devoted to directions for God's dwelling place, place with his people because he's gathering himself people, he's building people. We move further forward and God's people have reached the promised land that God promised to them. And, and Solomon has finally built a temple for God to dwell in, a home for God. 
And in, in 1 Kings 8, we have this beautiful picture of, of God's people marching in, bringing the Ark of the Covenant, that sign of God's promise, into the temple, God's dwelling place, for himself more permanently with his people. Because God is in the business of gathering to himself a people. And then we, we see, shortly on in the New Testament, Jesus. Jesus comes, and Jesus comes for the purpose of being with his people. Jesus is God's final act to really be with his people. That he would, on that cross, die and pay in full by his blood our sins. That through simply trusting and receiving what he's done for us, not through being good, but through trusting in him, we could be cleansed from all our sin and going and be able to meet with God and be able for God to dwell in us by His Spirit and be able to once again, more fully even, be God's people in God's presence because God is in the business of gathering together people. And so when we turn to the New Testament, we see straight away the practice of Christians is gathering together into churches. I mean, in the very beginning of Mark, as Jesus comes, what's the first one of the first things that he does? He calls his disciples to himself. He gathers to himself a people. At the very end of Jesus' life, at the end of Mark 14, what's one of the very last things he does? He gathers to himself his people and initiates the Lord's Supper for us to remember him by. We turn to the New Testament and Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, he's ascended in heaven, the disciples are left wondering what's happened, so what do they do? <coughs> Pax 1, 12, they gather together to pray. His people gather together. And we move on from there to, to Acts 2, 42, the apostles have been appointed by them as teachers. We move through to Acts chapter 5. And already the churches, the people are gathering together regularly at the temple to meet together to pray and encourage one another from the apostles' teaching. We move through to Acts chapter 8 and, and Saul has persecuted the church, Stephen's being killed, the disciples are spread out and what do they do when they go? Preach the gospel and plant churches. We move forward in scripture, Saul, who once was persecuted, becomes poor. What does he do? As he becomes a Christian, gives his life to planting churches, preach the gospel, gather people together into local churches. And so nearly all of the books, all of the letters of the New Testament are letters addressed to churches. The church in Rome, the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, the church in Thessalonica, Timothy's a pastor, Titus is an overseer of churches in Crete. The Bible knows nothing of the individualism of our society. The Bible knows local churches. The message of Scripture is that God is at work building the last church building that final church through the work of local churches. A church that he loves. Well, that's point two. The local church. Well, point three, I want to take us to your local church. 
And I really want to spend this last one just addressing the question of, but why? Why should I give myself to the local church? I mean, I get all this. I get the universal church thing. I get that it's expressed locally. You know, I understand it's a church that he loves, but why should I give myself to the church? Why should I give? I've got three reasons. There's so many more, but here's three that I've picked for us this morning. Firstly, because God never intended for you to walk around. He's building the people. I and mean, we've seen this already in that final picture, haven't we? But I want to take you somewhere else just quickly. Uh, to, the, to Ephesians. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, just quickly for you. And this is Paul addressing the local church. He's explained to them about how God called them from the beginning of time and has, has taken down all the dividing walls that used to exist between Jews and Gentiles. And he says in light of this, he says, So then you are no longer strangers in aliens, but you are fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Paul addresses this local church and he says, you once went in a people, but God has made you a people and he's building you together. God's intention is always build people. God never intended for you to walk around. And his word in light of this is just full of one, one another's. You know, I, I just wanted to pick one chapter of the Bible and, and examine it for one, one another's in the New Testament. And so I just picked one chapter. I picked Romans 12. Listen to this. Just from one chapter. Romans 12 says, be joined to one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, live in harmony with one another. The Bible is full of these exhortations for us to love one another. Jesus himself says, This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And friends, we can't do this unless we're part of the local church. We can't truly love one another unless we're committed to a local church. Because he never intended for you to walk alone. That's my first point. Secondly, because you need the church. In Hebrews 3.12, the writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because you need the church, you know, failing to meet together has a consequence, according to Scripture. Failing to meet together as a church, failing to meet together as the body of Christ, leads to hardening through the deceitfulness of sin. And I regret to say that I have repeatedly seen people walk this road. And in fact, I've never seen good fruit from someone 
permanently leaving local church and walking away from I've never seen good fruit. If you leave attending faithfully, committing yourself to faithfully a local church, I'll tell you one thing that will happen to you. Your heart will become hard. Your heart will become hard. You will increasingly, increasingly be hardened to the things of God. Your joy in Christ will begin to grow because you will be increasingly deceived by your own sin. Because we need the church. We need one another, don't we? We need a faithful brother and sister that can help us in time of need, that can encourage us when our joy is failing, that can exhort us and say, hey, Mary, let me pray for you. We need it. You need it. We need the church. And thirdly, because he wants to use you in his church for his glory. You know, according to the Bible, God has, if you're a Christian, given you gifts and abilities. In 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about how the local church, that church in Corinth, in fact all churches, are a body. body of Christ with many parts. Many different people, each with different things and ways in which God has given them. And so it is with you. If you're a Christian, according to Scripture, His Spirit dwells in you and you have spiritual gifts. You have gifts that are being given to you by the risen Jesus Christ through His Spirit. In fact, if you're a member of this church, God has placed you here. And He has knitted you into this body, placed you as a part of this body that He's building right here in this church. This is a local expression of that church. And He wants to use you if you're a Christian. He wants, he wants to use you when he thinks he's given to you. He wants to use you for his glory. He wants to use all of you. He doesn't just want to use part of you. He wants your whole life. You are a precious, integral part of the body of Christ. And God wants to use you for his glory. And so I just, I just want to encourage you, don't, don't be the person takes their talent and buries it in the sand. Don't be the man or woman who takes that precious gift that God has given to you and just and buries it and doesn't use it. It doesn't mean that you need to be doing X, Y, and Z in order to be a faithful part of the body. No, you need to be part of the body. You need to give your life to a church. You need to say to Christ, here I am as a servant as your servant in this church. Use me. Take me. In whatever way you would have for me. Because you were never made to be alone because you need the church because he wants to use you in his church for his glory. I want to call us this morning for us here at Southern Grace as a church for any visitors that that might be here with us this morning. I just want to exhort you, encourage you. Build your life around the church, around the local church, as God 
builds through the local church. Don't, don't miss what God is doing in this generation. Don't miss what God has always been doing all throughout history, building a church, that last church, through local churches. Don't miss it. I know some of us are sitting here this morning and you've been burnt by churches in the past. You've been poorly treated. People have sinned against you and you feel burnt. I know some of us here this morning are apathetic. You have other loves. And you think of church and you think neither here nor there. I go, I attend, it's a church. Some of us are weary. We're tired by the things of life. And we're treading water. Some of us are disappointed by church. It's not met our expectations. But we look around and we think, seriously? Give myself to this? Are you serious? Give myself to this? Well, I have a, a quote from John Stott. I want to read to you as, as we come to the end. And John Stott writing about the church, he says this, On earth she, the church is, often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day, she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ. Free from spots, wrinkles, or any other disagreement. Holy and without blemish. Beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work to this day. God is at work building his church. She will be seen on that final day, the last church, for what she is when you will stand before his and praise Him and praise Him. God is building His church. So let me, let me just appeal to you. Give yourself to her. Give your life to her. Give everything you've got to her. Give your time. Give your energy. Give your prayers. Give your tears. Make her the center and may it be for his glory. Well, the message of scripture is that God is at work building the last church through the local church. So come, join what God is doing. We build around the local church because God is building through the local church. Find you. Join me in prayer. Oh Lord, we, we just thank you this morning. who you are. That you would purchase us. That you would come and give yourself, give your son for us that we might be your people. That we might be your bride. 
we were just defiling ourselves in our sin and dead to you, but you would cleanse us. Amazing. Lord, I pray for us as a church. Lord, and I just ask you that you would help us increasingly fall in love with your bride. Lord, may you help us by your spirit to love this local church. May you help us to treasure that beautiful world. I don't know about you, but I feel, feel sobered in response to that message. Sobered. I think in our culture, it can be so tempting to see the church as another thing in our lives that we've got to get to. We've got to get, get a part of it. But when you start to hear that, which I felt just branded an outstanding job of the universal bride that we got adopted into, the Saviour's building and the local church, the expression of that, and we're all building towards that day. I just realised now, I've got to build my life around the church and not just see it as one of the many things I need to attend to in my life. I thought Brendan's quote that building your life around the church or build your life around the church is God builds the church. It sounds so incredibly radical. And I think in our culture in Sydney, you hear that and you think, really? You know, there's so much to do, there's so many different things. But running through my mind as Brendan was talking was just Ephesians 5. No radical to say you comes to earth having breathed life into the earth and then lays his life down for his bride. Would we follow us? Would we build our lives around the church and all glory to them? Amen. Have a good week, folks. Let's go build the church.